Please, people of God, turn with me in your Bibles once again this afternoon to 1 Kings chapter 13. We're going to read the whole chapter together this afternoon, but give our particular focus to verses 11 through 34. You'll recall from last time that as soon as Jeroboam became king, he also became greatly afraid. In verse 26 of chapter 12, we heard Jeroboam speaking to his heart, fearing that if, that if Israel returned to Jerusalem to the temple, they'd also return to Rehoboam and to the house of David as well. And so you recall what Jeroboam did to abate, to abate that fear, to make himself feel more safe and secure, rather than looking to the Lord and trusting in the promise of God's word, he erected golden calves and set up altars in Dan and Bethel. He invents an entirely new religion, which Israel is sadly and tragically going to buy into. And that's where we pick up our story this afternoon, 1 Kings chapter 13. This is God's holy word. And behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. And the man cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord. Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by his name. And he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you. And human bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down, and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out. And when the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried out against the altar at Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him. And his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up, so that he could not draw it back to himself. The altar also was torn down. The ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king said to the man of God, Entreat now the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. And the man of God entreated the Lord and the king's hand was restored to him and became as it was before. And the king said to the man of God, come home with me and refresh yourself and I will give you a reward. And the man of God said to the king, if you give me half your house, I will not go in with you. And I will not eat bread or drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord saying, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water, nor return by the way that you came. So he went another way, and did not return by the way that he came to Bethel. Now an old prophet lived in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told their father the words that he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, Which way did he go? And his son showed him the way that he, the man of God went, who had come from Judah, had gone. And he said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he mounted it. And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with you or go in with you. Neither will I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by the way that you came. And he said to him, but I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, bring him back with you into your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. 
but he lied to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. And as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah, Thus says the Lord, Because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the command that the Lord your God commanded you, but have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. And after he had eaten bread and drunk, he saddled the donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back. And as he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown in the road, and the donkey stood beside it. The lion also stood beside the body. And behold, men passed by and saw the body thrown in the road, and the lion standing by the body. And they came and told it in the city where the old prophet lived. And when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard of it, he said, It is the man of God who disobeyed the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord has given him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him, according to the word that the Lord spoke to him. And he said to his son, Saddle the donkey for me. And they saddled it. And he went and found his body thrown in the road, and the donkey and the lion standing beside the body. The lion had not eaten the body or torn the donkey. And the prophet took up the body of the man of God and laid it on the donkey and brought it back to the city to mourn and to bury him. And he laid the body in his own grave, and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. And after he had buried him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave in which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying that he called out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places that are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. After this thing, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but made priests for the high places again from among all the people. And any who would, he ordained to be priests of the high places. And this thing, and this thing became sin to the house of Jeroboam, so as to cut it off. And destroy it from the face of the earth. Congregation, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Dear brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, I recognize that we're a far way off from our next celebration of the Protestant Reformation. But as we consider what God is saying to us here in 1 Kings 13, we're reminded that those things which lie to the very heart of the Protestant Reformation ought to be embraced and celebrated not only on Reformation Day, but every day of our lives until Christ returns to take us where he is. For that great Reformation, the church of our Lord Jesus recovered those great and glorious truths of the gospel. Sola fide, by faith alone. Sola gratia, by grace alone. Solus Christus, in Christ alone. And that Reformation reoriented the people of God to their universal calling. A calling that belonged not just to the priests, not just to the monasteries, but that universal calling that all people everywhere are to live entirely for the glory of God alone. Soli Deo Gloria. 
But we have to recognize this evening is that we would have none of these precious truths about the way in which we've been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, were it not for the first great sola, namely sola scriptura, by scripture alone. Because that's really what set everything into motion. There was Martin Luther, that devout Augustinian monk, trying to, to earn his way into the kingdom of heaven, but to no avail. He sought counsel from his teachers again and again, saying, saying, what must I do to be saved? To which they responded again and again, do better, try harder. But then you'll know what rescued the great reformer. He went back to the source. No, not to papal bulls and edicts, but back to the source, back to the word of the Lord. And there he rediscovered the truths of the gospel which had been hidden for so long. And so he changed the world forever. From that time forward, he sought to reform the church, to, to bring her back into conformity with the plain teachings of the word of God. But as we know, she would not listen. Rather, she railed against this great rediscovery, summoning Luther to appear before the princes of the church, even before the Holy Roman Emperor. And then the year of 1521, at the Diet of Worms, Luther was called upon to recant his views, to revoke all that, that he had been saying in the last three years. But in response to their demands, what did Martin Luther say? Recant? Do you want me to say that I recant? I cannot recant unless I am convinced by sacred scripture or by evident reason. How can I recant? For my conscience is held captive to the word of God. And to act against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. To be sure, we yet live in a world wherein the nations conspired together against the Lord, wherein the nations conspired together against the word of the Lord and, and against his Christ. But what did God say in the psalm that we read just a few moments ago? He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. For he has set his king on Zion, his holy hill. And so he says, now therefore, O kings, be wise, be, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled, but blessed are all who take refuge in him. In other words, God says to all men everywhere, he says to kings and princes, to to earthly rulers here in Canada and around the world. He says to, to you and to me that all people everywhere must in humility bow the knee and submit themselves to the word of the Lord. For God has said by his prophet in Isaiah 66 that this is the one on whom I will look with favor. He who is humble and contrite in spirit. He who trembles at my word. Unless we take the word of the Lord seriously, unless we, we tremble before it in humility and faith, then there is no hope for us or for the world. And that's what we discover here in 1 Kings 13. Here we discover what happens when, when the word of the Lord is, is contradicted and cast aside. And here we see once again that, that the word of the Lord cannot be broken. But as you've heard me echo from Isaiah 40 many, many times, 
The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures. It stands forever. For God himself upholds that word, and he confirms the truth of the word that he speaks. And that's what we see here. And while this chapter raises many seemingly difficult and and unanswered questions, I think we we can unpack the message of this rather strange and confusing story by taking note of the fact that nine times in this chapter, the narrator makes reference in some way to the word of the Lord, which is really what this story is all about. And so if we use this theme concerning the word of the Lord as our compass to, to navigate our way through this story, then I trust we'll be able to hear what the Spirit says to his church, noticing, first of all, the word of the Lord contradicted, and then secondly, the word of the Lord cast aside, and then finally, the word of the Lord confirmed. Well, as we re-enter this story, we do so keeping in mind the unique moment in redemptive history in which the people of God now find themselves living in. As we've come to see, the kingdom has just been divided. And Jeroboam has not only led his rebellion against Rehoboam, but he has succeeded in doing so. But as we've also come to see, Jeroboam's success has not been enough to make him feel secure. For although the word of the Lord had come to him saying that that if he walked in the way of the Lord and trust in the Lord, then God would secure his house. Jeroboam did not believe what God had said. And so he took matters into his own hands. He erected these golden calves and, and altars in Dan and Bethel so that Israel would, would no longer go back to Jerusalem. And as we heard in verse 29 of chapter 12, this thing became a sin for the people of Israel. For the people went as far as Dan to appear before the golden calves. And now the Lord has become angry with Jeroboam on account of his apostasy. And so this man of God from Judah has, has burst onto the scene. He's cried out against this altar, saying that, that a day is coming when a son of David will come and, and destroy this altar and, and burn upon this altar the priests and the, and the false prophets who, who served this false religion of Jeroboam. In the course of these events, we can't help but notice the fact that the name of this man of God is is not given to us, which I think is probably intentional for at least a couple of reasons, but the primary reason being that the focus of this story is not so much on the messenger as it is on the message. For this man of God from Judah has been called by God to be a conduit for the word of God, to, to declare that word in boldness and truth, to obey that word. As we heard last time, in response to to the word that the Lord had spoken, Jeroboam stretched out his arms, saying, Seize him. Jeroboam, in his hardness of heart, seeks to to silence that word, as rulers of this world often do. But of course, that only results in the shriveling up of his hand. For the word of the Lord cannot be bound by the hands of men. Indeed, all men everywhere are powerless before it. Yet even after the man of God entreats the Lord in order to to heal Jeroboam's hand, even then Jeroboam's heart has not been softened. He invites the man of God to to come to his home, to share a meal with him, to give him a reward. And this Jeroboam does, it would seem, to to smooth things over. It would seem as though he's trying to to curb, to abate that, that word of judgment that the man of God had proclaimed. Say, come on, Bethel and Jerusalem, we can both get along these these two versions of of the same religion in Jeroboam's mind. 
But the man of God was not for sale. He, he said to the king, if you give me half your house, I will not go with you. And I will not eat bread or drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying you should neither eat bread nor drink water, nor return by the way that you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way that he came to Bethel. And how wonderful it would be if at this point that this particular story came to an end. If only the story ended here with this brave man of God who, who resisted King Jeroboam with the word of God and, and resolved to obey that word to the end. But sadly, there's still more to this story which needs to be told. In verse 11 and following, we discover that there was an old prophet who had already been living in Bethel, which of course raises the question, well, where, where was this prophet when, when these bulls or these calves are being erected? The answer to that question isn't given to us, but rather we do find that upon hearing from his sons what's just happened and, and the words that the man of God had said to Jeroboam, the old prophet sets out to find him. And when he does, he extends the same offer that Jeroboam had extended to him, inviting him to come and eat bread with him in his home. But then notice how the man of God responds, echoing what he had said previously to Jeroboam, he insists that to do such a thing would be to deviate from what had been told him by the word of the Lord, that he should neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way that he came. But the old prophet doesn't let up. Rather, he blatantly contradicts the word of the Lord, seeking to distort it. Verse 18, but, but I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you into your house, that he may eat and drink water. More literally, he says, the angel said, Turn him, turn this prophet. But then we see that he lied to him. Boys and girls, this old prophet is, is making all this up. No angel had, had spoken to him by the word of the Lord. He's come to this man of God from Judah just as the serpent came to unsuspecting Adam and Eve. And what he may as well be saying is, is has God really said? Nothing will happen to you if you, if you cast this word that you heard to the side. And sadly and tragically, the man of God from Judah is taken in by the lie. He's taken in by this new word which which has supposedly come to this old prophet by an angel. And while the text doesn't tell us explicitly why this old prophet has done this thing, it would seem as though his motivation is similar to Jeroboam's, namely to, to make peace, to, to smooth things over, to perhaps abate this word of judgment. We can't be sure this is the case, but given the fact that his invitation to the man of God and the and man of God's response so closely mirrors the previous exchange with Jeroboam would lead us to think that the prophet of Bethel is trying to do what Jeroboam failed to do. Regardless, if there's one thing we can be sure of, it's that 1 Kings 13 is giving us a window into the world in which we live as well. Because we too live in a world where the, Lord, where, where the word of the Lord is contradicted on every side. We live in a world where this happens both in the world as, as well as in the church. And we are constantly being, being tempted to be taken in, just as this man of God from Judah was taken in. We too are constantly being tempted to compromise, to, to make peace with the world, to, to hide 
the truth of God's or at least certain parts of it in the closet. We too are tempted to simply smooth things over in the name of everybody just getting along, which seems to be the aim of this prophet from Bethel. And so you can almost hear the, the Apostle John screaming to us here what he says in the fourth chapter of his first letter, test the spirits, prophet man of God from Bethel, test the spirits and, and see if these things are from God. But this is precisely what the man of God from Judah has failed to do. Verse 19, so he that is the man of God turned back and ate bread in the house and drank water. And in so doing, congregation, the word of the Lord was cast aside. And at this point in the story, perhaps some of us are left wondering, really? He, he was able to boldly reject the, the powerful King Jeroboam, only to give in now to, to the same invitation from this old prophet who, who had been living in Bethel all along? When you really think about it, how often isn't it the case that when we ourselves fall into sin, it's because we've We've let our guard down, as the man of God from Judah has done here. It would seem as though he's already done that by, by resting under this tree. He was told to go, go back to Jerusalem, but, but he's found resting under this tree. And he engages in this, in this dialogue with this false prophet, as, as Adam and Eve did in the garden. And he is sadly taken in by the lie. Perhaps that word of judgment was a, was a heavy burden for him to bear. Perhaps he wanted to, to smooth things over a little bit as well. Commenting on this reality, Dale Ralph Davis writes that sometimes we have the courage to face major crises, but lack the sense for subtle dilemmas. We can muster defiance for the danger of the hour. But sometimes we cannot find discernment for the ploy of the moment. This is what has happened to this man of God from Judah. In a moment of weakness, he has cast the word of the Lord to the side. And he has turned and he's gone from the way in which he came. In chapter 13 alone, the Hebrew word for path or way is used ten times. God made it clear to the man of God that he was not to return by the way that he came. In verse 12, the false prophet asked the question, which way did he go? In verse 18, he persuades the man of God to, to turn from the way. Now in verses 20 and following, we discover the consequences. As they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back, who had turned him and he cried to the man of God who came from Judah, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the command that the Lord your God commanded you, but have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place of what he said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. A sober warning for us this evening. A sober warning, especially for your pastor and every pastor, that, that the ministry of proclaiming the word does not make a man exempt from, from the duty of obeying that word in his own life. But the pastor and the congregation alike must stay the course and, and travel the path that, 
that God himself has set forth in his word and not, and not deviate from the way, not, not turn and, and go back from the way which we came, the, the way of sin and disobedience. And while what the Lord has now said through this old prophet is not necessarily a, a proclamation of final judgment or damnation, it is a prophecy of, of disgrace and dishonor. For in this time, in this setting, it was a great disgrace not to be buried with one's own people. And so what happened, verse 23, after he had eaten bread and drunk, he sowed the donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back, and as he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And thus the servant of the Lord died for his disobedience to the word of the Lord. His bones are going to be buried in exile, as it were, away from the kingdom of Judah. And so at this point in the story, we see that each of these unnamed prophets really serves as symbols for the two kingdoms which they represent. This story is going to be read as a parable by God's people down the road. On the one hand, you have this old prophet from Bethel who, who comes to, to tempt the man of God from Judah. And this is exactly what the northern kingdom is going to do in the coming years to the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is going to, to tempt the southern kingdom to, to turn from the way of obedience. And eventually it's going to be said of Judah in 2 Kings 17 verse 19. Judah also did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but they walked in the customs that Israel had introduced. And just as the man of God from Judah is going to be buried in exile, so too are many from the kingdom of Judah likewise going to die in disgrace in a foreign land in the wake of the Babylonian exile. This will be the consequence. This will be the heavy cost for their having cast the word of the Lord to the side in order to go their own way. That we recognize even as there was hope for those elect exiles of God in Babylon, it would seem as though a hope yet remains for this fallen prophet from Judah as well. Read in verses 24 and following that as he went away, the lion met him on the road and killed him, and his body was thrown in the road. And the donkey stood beside it, the lion also stood beside the body. And behold, men passed by and saw the body thrown in the road, and the lion standing by the body. And they came and told it in the city where the old prophet lived. Now, can you picture this in your mind, boys and girls? This, this lion has, has met this prophet on the road, and he's killed this prophet. But rather than, than devouring this prophet, as you would expect a lion to do, and rather than, than devouring the donkey standing beside the prophet, the lion is now found standing still beside the body. This lion is on the Lord's leash. He has been sent by the Lord. Now he's been stopped by the Lord. And although the man of God is not going to be buried with his own people, he will receive an honorable burial nevertheless. Verse 26, And when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard of it, he said, It is the man of God who disobeyed the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord has given him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him according to the word that the Lord spoke to him. And so we see finally tonight the word of the Lord confirmed. And in this way, congregation, we're reminded that God 
always says what he means, and he means what he says. God always brings his word to pass. And if there's a silver lining in this story, it would seem as though this very reality has, has gripped the old prophet's heart as well. You read in verse 29, and the, and the prophet took up the body of the man of God and laid it on the donkey and brought it back to the city to mourn and to bury him. And he laid the body in his own grave and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. As I said before, it's hard to say with certainty why this old prophet had deceived the man of God in the first place. But if it was, in fact, to accomplish what Jeroboam was seeking to accomplish, to, to smooth things over, to, to abate the word of judgment, it would seem that that is no longer the case. Because as this man, this prophet from Bethel, mourns over this man of God from Judah, who has boldly proclaimed the word of the Lord to Jeroboam, he's simultaneously rejecting all that Jeroboam stands for. By weeping over this man of God from Judah. And do take note of the fact that the Holy Spirit still refers to him as the man of God from Judah. It would seem as though the old prophet in Bethel is, is taking sides. Not with Jeroboam, who sought to silence the word of the Lord. But rather with the man of God from Judah who proclaimed the word of the Lord. Who affirmed that that what the man of God had said would surely come to pass. Because we read in verses 31 and following that after he had buried him, he said to his sons, when I die, bury me in the grave in which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying that he called out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places that are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. And this word of the Lord does eventually come to pass. As I mentioned last time, amidst the, the reforms of King Josiah, Josiah is going to come. And he's going to destroy these altars of Jeroboam. And he's going to, to burn upon them the bones of all these false priests and prophets who, who had aided in Jeroboam's folly. And so on the one hand, we mustn't lose sight of the fact that this passage announces disaster for an unbelieving and disobedient world. This passage announces the same thing that the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1. That the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. This passage reveals what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. That, that the Son of David shall return to inflict judgment on those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of God, the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And yet, on the other hand, this passage also proclaims the hope of the gospel to those who in repentance and faith will bow the knee and, and submit to the word of the Lord. And that's what we see here in this old prophet's request to be buried with the man of God and, and in his affirmation that, that the, what the man of God had said would surely come to pass. To quote one pastor, the old prophet spoke as though the man of God had not been abandoned. Yes, he understood that his death was God's doing because of his disobedience to the word of the Lord. But just as the lion had gone no further than killing him, so the prophet seemed to believe that hope lay in some sense with the man of God from Judah. Therefore, he said to his sons, lay my bones beside his bones. 
and the old prophet was right. Because centuries later, when Josiah comes to do the things that the man of God had proclaimed, he's going to come across this very burial place. And he is going to, to ask the question in Second Kings 23, what is this monument that I see? And the men of the city are going to tell him it is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and predicted these things that you have done against the altar in Bethel. And to this saying, Josiah is going to reply saying, let him be. Let no man move his bones. And his bones will be left alone. Neither of their bones are going to be subjected to the ultimate disgrace of being burned up or, or to the curse that that burning symbolized. And so, congregation, here we see a, a picture of the gospel. Here we are as comforted as we are challenged by the reality that, that the Lord always confirms his word. For nowhere has the confirmation of God's word been seen so Wonderfully, as in the sending of his son into the world, our righteous prophet, priest, and king, that greater man from Judah. And the Bible says that, that if our bones are buried in the tomb of his bones, then there is hope for us. That if our bones are buried in the tomb of this prophet, of this more faithful man of God from Judah, then the ultimate curse of God's judgment shall not befall us. That's what the Apostle Paul describes in Romans chapter 6 when he says that we have been buried with Christ by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life, that we too might, might turn from disobedience and submit ourselves to the word of the Lord. For Paul says, we who have been united with him in a death like his shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For you have died, says Paul, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And it's all because the Lord has confirmed his word. God has, has done what he said he would do. God has crushed the serpent who, who first contradicted his word. And God has, has intervened in the hearts and lives of those who at one time cast his word to the side and, and were had nothing to do with that word. And so may we thus devote ourselves to the word of the Lord and submit ourselves to it. May we not follow in the foolish way of Jeroboam, who only hardened his heart all the more. At the end of this story, you would like to think, after hearing all these things, perhaps Jeroboam would have a change of heart. Perhaps Jeroboam would see, I better take this word seriously. God has already brought his word to pass, not once but twice. He, he broke the altars already and spilled the ashes, and now he's killed this man of God according to what he had said. But what do we read in verse 33? After this thing, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but made priests for the high places again from among all the people. And any who would, he ordained to be priests of the high places. And this thing became sin to the house of Jeroboam, so as to cut it off and destroy it from the face of the earth. A sober warning for all of us here. A sober warning for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to, 
to submit herself to the word of the Lord, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And so when Jesus identified himself as the good shepherd who's come to to lay down his life for the sheep, what did he say it was that, that most characterized his sheep, that set them apart? My sheep hear my voice, and they follow after me. They follow after the way, the truth, and the life. They hear his voice. In other words, says one pastor, God's people are people who abide in his word unembarrassed and without yielding. They do as the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3. They let the word of Christ dwell in their hearts richly. They sing what we sang a few moments ago. The word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We hear the voice of the word of God and we follow that voice. May as much be said of us in our congregation always. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do indeed live in a world that contradicts the word of the Lord. And we're tempted, Lord, to to give in to those contradictions and those distortions to smooth things over that we can all just get along. Lord, we thank you that you show us that such is the way of ruin. Lord, we pray that you would cause us to cherish the word of the Lord. We would guard the good deposit that you have entrusted to us. You would cause the congregation to do that, not to forget that the battles fought in the 80s and 90s to preserve the truth of your word. Father, we pray that we would always love your word, that we would hear the voice of the good shepherd, and we would be those people who follow after that voice. You do not follow the voice of strangers. We'd be a people who test the spirits to see if if the things spoken are indeed from God. Father, we pray that the word of Christ would indeed dwell in our hearts richly. As we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and encourage each other with that precious word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who is the word made flesh. And for the promise of the gospel that if we are buried with him, if we died with him and are buried with him, then we will also live with him. We pray in his name and for his sake. Amen.